0: Hey, everybody. My guest today is Ed Dowd, who has worked on Wall Street most of his career, spanning both credit markets and equity markets. Some of the firms he's worked for, including HSBC, Donaldson, and Lufkin at DLJ, Independence Investments, and most notably at BlackRock as a portfolio manager, where he managed $14 billion dollars growth equity portfolio for 10 years. Currently, he's a consultant at Symphonic Capital and is in the process of trying to raise capital to start a hedge fund with Symphonic. Ed, for those of you who don't know Ed, he's a famous Wall Street maverick and contrarian. He was one of the few Wall Street analysts who foresaw the dot-com fraud in 1999 and 2000 and predicted the financial crisis in 2008. And then he moved to BlackRock because of his prescience and was given control at $14 billion growth equity fund. We are, Ed has been kind of making the rounds in the last couple of weeks talking about the potentially momentous fraud at Pfizer and Moderna, and what that means to the financial markets, and also what it means to public health. And he's made some extraordinary observations and really gone into the weeds in analyzing the clinical data. Ed, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Good to be here. I appreciate your time.
0: So tell us how you got kind of into this niche area.
1: Quite frankly, Uh, I saw what was going on and I was very concerned and I was a skeptic early and right around September of last year when the mandates are in full force and I thought this can't go on. I pray, I actually prayed to God to be of service and Dr. Malone came to the island and through a series of coincidences, I was able to meet with him and he has enabled me to get a larger voice. I was saying what I was saying on on Twitter as a private citizen and by hooking up with him, I've been able to, through him, show a different angle as to what's going on. He's doing all the medical side of this. I'm showing the Wall Street side. And my goal is to show that fraud has occurred, or I believe fraud has occurred at Pfizer. What tipped me off to the fraud was primarily the FDA's decision to hide the data for 75 years. And, you know, in my world, when I see that, uh, I don't need... The Wall Street Journal or the New York Times to tell me fraud has occurred. I make bets with capital, and my bet was that's fraud. The FDA is in on the cover-up. Something went down. The other tip for me was in November of last year, a friend of mine from the biotech industry discovered that Pfizer had failed their all-cause mortality endpoint. And that was not not available to us when this fanfare occurred in November of 2020. They all got excited about 95% efficacy. And when we learned that data point, it came out in a FOIA request and, when I, and the, the mainstream media ignored it. And I said to him, look, I'm not a healthcare expert, but I remember from managing a portfolio and having a healthcare analyst, if you miss the all-cause mortality endpoint, the drug doesn't get approved. He's, he said to me, correct, it doesn't get approved. It's the gold standard of the FDA. Well, they missed that endpoint and that's a big deal. So I started really thinking fraud had occurred. And, and then I started to think, if the FDA is in on it, this reminds me of the great financial crisis where the rating agencies became corrupted and allowed that fraud to happen. So what we haunted in the rating agencies in 2008-9 was uh, what I call the institutional imperative. You've heard Warren Buffett, t- Buffett talk about this. It's where the, over time, an institution acts in the interests of itself rather than its shareholders or in the case of the FDA, the stakeholders. So I believe over time it's been corrupted. And then with this Operation Warp Speed, when I heard that was announced, I thought disaster from the get-go, corners cut, things rushed, safety protocols ignored. I came to the conclusion that the FDA didn't really look at this clinical trial data. They rushed it through due to political pressure, what have you, maybe, maybe straight up bribes. I, we don't know, but we, what we do know is that this should never have been approved. And because of my my rise in my media profile, I was able to, uh, I was reached out to by Brooke Jackson, the Ventavia whistleblower, who went public in November, everybody ignored her. The mainstream media ignored her. She called me, we talked for three hours. Then I started to go on podcasts with her. And, you know, the bottom line here is what she saw was so much fraud, it was mind boggling. But the fraud that I focused on related to the, the, the numbers there was 1,000 patients that she oversaw in the 44,000 clinical trial study, original study that was done by Pfizer. All of them were unblinded, all 1,000. And when that happens, that data is supposed to be thrown out per Pfizer protocols. It was not, it was rolled up. When she became aware of this, she alerted her uh, senior people in her company. That's when the tone changed with her, obviously. And then when, she, when they wanted her, to get involved in a cover-up, that's when she went to the FDA, did an anonymous whistleblower complaint at nine in the morning, by three in the afternoon, she was fired. And then five days later, a uh, Pfizer lawyer reached out to her and she you know, ignored him. It happened to be this guy, Mark ba- Barnes, who apparently has a notorious history in the swamp. So when I heard all this and then I, I, I so I became literally absolutely convinced that this, the study of the patients she saw was was 100% unblinded. So people say, the naysayers will say, well, it was only 1,000 patients. Well, first of all, they shouldn't have been rolled up into the total 44,000, but let's do the math on this. The math is pretty simple. In the whole trial of the 28-day study, which is also ridiculous, as you know, on its face, a study for 28 days, there were eight patients in the vaccinated group and 164 in the unvaccinated group, in the placebo group. So that's how they calculated the ninety-five percent efficacy. If in her just her one thousand patients, oh, wait a minute. I mean, there were eight patients who got COVID in the vaccinated group, yeah. and in the and in the placebo group, there were one hundred and sixty-four patients who got COVID. Yeah. Well, okay. So
0: yeah, go ahead.
1: So that's how they calculated the ninety-five percent efficacy. That's the number that that's that that generated that headline. Okay. Let's think about this for a second. When you unblind a study, what she told me was the doctors had on every patient's chart, whether they had the vaccine or they had the placebo, which was not supposed to happen. So when a a patient would come in and say, I'm not feeling well, the doctor could look at the chart and say, well, this person's vaccinated. I'm sure it's not COVID and not test them or know not to test them if they wanted to. Right. So all you need from her 1000 patients are 74 of those patients to move over to the vaccinated column because they didn't test them. And you have 50% efficacy. You move all 164 over, you have 0% efficacy. You don't need the other sites. You just need that site to call into question the whole study. It's fraud in my mind, that's in my humble opinion. And you know as well as I do that when you have a smoking gun in one area sites you know this was probably done in other sites as well so this was a disaster in my mind the clinical and you know look the fruits of their their fraud are showing up in real world results now you and i have been aware of it for a while but now unfortunately and tragically it's showing up in real world data insurance companies and funeral homes and this is a disaster
0: yeah in the all-cause mortality data There were 22,000 people who got the vaccine and roughly 22,000 who got the placebo. Of the 22,000 who got the vaccine over the six-month run of that trial, one of them died from COVID. In the placebo group, two died from COVID. And that allowed Pfizer to claim that the vaccine was 100% effective against death because two is 100% of one. And that's really all they got. What it really means is you have to give 22,000 vaccines to prevent one COVID death. And if you're going to give 22,000 vaccines, you better make sure that the vaccines don't kill anybody, because if they kill one person, you've canceled out any benefit. And as you point out in the vaccine group, on the all-cause mortality chart, which they submitted to FDA to get their licensure, There were 17 people in the placebo group who died, 21 people in the vaccine group. That's a 23% rise in all-cause mortality, and that would kill any other drug. Here's what I was going to point to be a contrarian to you, that this is going to affect them in the financial markets very, very early on. Um, financial people came to me who were thinking of making big investments in the vaccine companies. This was in around March, April, May of 2020. Right. The original monkey studies came out for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Right. And the monkey studies showed that the monkeys who were vaccinated got COVID and had an equal amount of viral load in their nose as unvaccinated as vaccinated monkeys. Vaccinated and unvaccinated had the same viral loads. Clearly, it couldn't prevent transmission. And I advise these people, and it's a good good idea not to take financial advice from me. I, I said this thing is DOA. And at that time, both Gates and Fauci were saying, well, maybe it won't prevent transmission. If it's not going to prevent transmission, you can't mandate it. And you probably can't sell it because it's not going to stop the pandemic. But they did it anyway. You know, the pessimistic part of my personality is saying that no matter what happens, they somehow have it wired so thoroughly that there is no consequences for these companies. And I hope you're right. But what, why do you think there will be consequences?
1: Well, because I think there's enough proof for people to investigate fraud in the clinical data and the FDA's complicit complicity in this. Unfortunately, this is the tragic part of this. We had to wait for real world evidence. And the real world evidence is so awful that there's going to be a public outcry. And even though the mainstream media is not participating with this yet, they will. I mean, this is you can't hide this anymore. This is devastating. And what I came out with last week with my insurance industry analyst partner, who will be coming public shortly, we dove into the, the CDC data. Their own data shows what's going on. This is this is a disaster of epic proportions. Last week, I made the claim, and I stand by it, that the millennial age group saw 61,000 deaths, excess deaths in a one-year time frame, with an acceleration into the mandates and the boosters in the fall. I mean, they just experienced a Vietnam War in a year. I don't know how this is going to be hidden for much longer. And I, I think. The more we convince people what happened and we turn politicians against what just happened and they will, or vote them out, whatever. This is eventually, the reckoning will come. It has to. I don't care if they're going to distract us with the Ukraine war or whatever, but things are going to, this is too big to hide. And, you know, this is, I have faith that this is going to come to light and there will I be mean, consequences. I think
0: what CDC will try to persuade the world is that those 61,000 excess deaths are from COVID and from Omicron. So
1: how do they not pull that off? Well, they, they'll try. But let's think about this logically for a second. If you look at the chart four that uh, you guys have, basically, if you look at that chart, you see that there was a baseline of you know normal death rates pre-pandemic. Then there was a the spike into the fall pre-vaccine but it's gotten worse with vaccines and milder variants. And by the way, Delta hit in the summer of 2021, 80% of all cases were Delta in June. So they can't say it was Delta because, and that what Delta only affects 25 to 44 uh, more than, than older folks. The logic here makes no sense. Delta was there in the summer. That acceleration you see into the fall, it's the rate of change that's the smoking gun because It coincides with the mandates hitting and the boosters. And they can't say it's Delta because Delta was there in the summer. They can't say it's Omicron because Omicron came later, which which was milder. And they can't say it's fentanyl deaths because what, everybody decided to overdose at the same time. They can't say it's suicide because everybody decided to kill themselves in the same two, three month period. Do you see the rate of change is the smoking gun? That's the smoke, the rate of change and the acceleration into mandates and boosters. Basically, in my mind, it's case closed. We just need to, someone asked me if you wanted to be invited up to the hill to testify, would you go? My partner and I would go. We haven't been invited yet. You know, we're willing to go anywhere and defend this.
0: And are there other people in the financial markets who are already taking an interest in this?
1: Yes, people. The stocks of Moderna and Pfizer have been in downtrending modes. Uh, Moderna is down seventy plus percent from its high. Uh, that's Moderna Pfizer's down 20 plus percent from its high so the way wall street works is you know some crazy guy like me comes out with a contrarian thesis right they take note they start to listen they don't sell it all they do their own work so it's 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 going to take some time but it's in it's in process the other thing that you need to know that's exciting is the the work we did with the cdc data and the chart you just showed independent actuaries that are still anonymous recreated our work from the database and stay tuned. The insurance industry is heating up here and, you know, they, the other reason I think that we're going to see consequences is, is an industry that's been defrauded. It's the insurance industry. Okay. They are currently paying for excess deaths due to a a product that kills, and they're going to be paying for years disability from vaccine injuries. I don't think they're going to put up with that once they realize what's happened and they're starting to wake up. And, one, and I'm getting reached out to by actuaries who shall remain anonymous for now until they come forward at insurance companies that make a difference. So this is, the worm is turning. This is the beginning of the worm turning, I think.
0: Let me, let me play devil's advocate. Sure. I've watched. Public health declined precipitously over the time that I've been involved in this. We've gone from 6% of our children having chronic disease to 54%. Autism rates have dropped from 1 or 2 in 10,000 to 1 every 44 people. Over the last 10 years, they've increased again by 144% food allergies have appeared, autoimmune disease have become epidemic, rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile diabetes, all these neurodevelopmental disorders. And the insurance company, which ends up paying for a lot of those costs, or all of those costs, has sat on the sidelines and said nothing. And people have wondered about that. People in the community who are... You know, we're advocates for chronic disease, advocates to to end toxic exposures to kids. I've I've sat there for years, for decades, and say, why doesn't the insurance industry speak up? An insurance, a high-level insurance analyst explained to a group of us, and he said, really, the more injury that you have in a society, the more the insurance company gets wealthy. If, if there was only one shipwreck a year, is that a good thing for Lloyds of London? Is it better if there's 500 shipwrecks a year? Because now everybody needs shipwreck insurance. And if you have a high level of injury over the long term, since the insurance industry really just makes money on friction, and the more injury you have, the more people want demand the product, which is insurance. And that's where their profits come from. So they're less concerned with paying off
1: individual liabilities. What do you think of that? So that, yeah, I agree with that. We call that business as usual, right? That that makes sense to me. But think about the insurance industry. They make their money off of pretty steady death rates and injury rates. and they And the key to their profit is predicting it and then charging a premium that covers the losses. And, that's how, and so they make the spread. They price it so that they don't lose money. What just occurred, out of the words of one CEO's mouth, was a 40% increase in non-COVID-related deaths in the, in the second half of 2021. That was one American CEO, Scott Davison. And he didn't blame the vaccine. He didn't know what it was. But he said that's a one-in-a-200-year flood. A 10% increase would be a three-standard deviation unheard of event in the insurance industry. So the insurance industry didn't price this. So they're going to be, this is, the, this is the problem. So it's such a catastrophic number and the injuries that are going to be created for years, they're not, at, this is going to hurt their capitalization over time. Let me put it this way, the greed got, you've been seeing a problem that's been going on for years but it was in all different smaller areas but now they bit off more they can chew. They just poisoned 220 million Americans. This is literally like a bridge too far. And it's, it's too fast, too far, too much death and injury. So I, I, and then the insurance industry did not price this. They did not price this. So I think that's why we're going to have more of an impact this time than, you know, business as usual with slower, predictable, chronic death. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did
0: you see the, uh, the TV show Dope Sick? Yes. Uh, and so... Did did you have any revelations from that about agency capture and.
1: Yes. I have my own personal experiences with the healthcare system that made me aware of agency capture. And, you know, it's not about getting you well, it's about keeping you constantly in the system on prescriptions. And, uh, I had my own battle with mental health in uh, 2011, and I got off the daisy train and I, I healed myself without the aid of the pharmaceutical industry. And that, that was a big eye opening event for me, my own personal experience. And that's when I you know, really started to understand how the healthcare system worked.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned the Vietnam War, and the, for the people who haven't seen OPSIC, I urge you to do it. And it's a, also a vehicle, a really important vehicle. For those of you who are, are having trouble, persuading your relatives that maybe the FDA and the CDC are lying about vaccines and the pharmaceutical industry are lying about vaccines, show them dope sick. You can get them to watch it because then you see how this is, how the sausage gets made across the system. And what the story is, is how the pharmaceutical industry and FDA corrupt officials in FDA put a phony label on OxyContin that said it was not addictive. And that label was used by 20,000 pharmaceutical reps from Purdue Pharma and Johnson & Johnson to go out and persuade doctors all across America that OxyContin was not addictive. And they began, and they, you could prescribe it for hangovers, you could prescribe it for may, you know, for minor aches and pains, that it was appropriate. But to me, the most important kind of revelation that people have when they're looking at that is because the big pushback that you get, at least that I get when I try to explain to loved ones, family, friends, you know, that it's corrupt, all systems corrupt. They say. We don't believe it. You know, there's a million doctors out there and you're saying that they're all involved in a conspiracy, that they all know that they're giving this poison to people and that they're killing them. There's no way that's happening. And what I say is the doctors don't know it. They believe what CDC and FDA tell them. And that's the only source of information. Very few of them are actually reading the peer-reviewed publications and we're thinking independently and questioning the authorities. Nobody does that, and that's exactly what happened. You have, you know, the great thing about the service at film shows is these very well-meaning doctors who love their patients, they're born healers, they have a gift for healing, and they just accept what FDA said on that label is true. It turns out the official who wrote that label was immediately left FDA, went to work for Purdue Pharma, who has 367000 dollars annual salary. So it's a payoff. And that's how the system works with these revolving doors and all these other instruments of agency
1: capture. Yeah, you know, this this you just hit on a point that I've harped on in many of my discussions with podcasters and media people. The FDA is critical to this fraud for the doctors who trust the FDA. That's why it's just like the financial crisis with the rating agencies. The rating agencies vetted the bonds, gave them AAA ratings, and people trusted the rating agencies, so they didn't look too hard. The doctors who don't read clinical data trial studies, who don't have backgrounds in statistical analysis, trust the FDA. So the, the key to this fraud is that the FDA regulatory capture And the pharmaceutical industries have done, as you know, a fabulous job of doing that. And that's what occurred with this vaccine. That's why so many of these doctors, when you try to talk to them, and I've tried to talk to some, they think I'm crazy, but I know how fraud works and I know how psychopaths work. You corrupt the third. (laughs) The key to this is you corrupt the third party trusted institution. And it's the same thing as the great financial crisis. That's the tragedy is is a lot of doctors who are well-meaning, like you said, who love their patients, When this comes out and gets resolved and and the awakening begins, it's going to really hurt the reputations of the medical profession for years to come, unfortunately.
0: Well, one thing that people need to understand that I think is really kind of an important subtlety and nuance is that medical school is different and science, you know, it doesn't make you a scientist. Doctors are taught and doctors are high IQ people with amazing memories and they're forced to absorb huge amounts of information but it's almost like an authoritarian system you are being told this is what you do when you see this this is how to diagnose an illness this is how you treat it and it's kind of a pharmaceutical paradigm the pharma is paying for these medical schools they support them and they're not being taught critical thinking they're not being taught to question authority Scientists, it's the opposite. You know, they're being taught, how do you read a scientific study critically? How do you look for the errors, the deceptions, the, you know, the little mistakes, the biases that are incorporated into the calculations? And it's a completely different set of skills. If you could become a scientist by absorbing information, all you'd have to do is watch the Discovery Channel. And you would be a scientist, right? That's not how it works. It's actually a set of skills that is unique to science. And it's not always taught in medical school. Those skills are not always taught in medical
1: schools. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, That's what on Wall Street, no one teaches you how to be a critical thinker. You kind of, I went to business school and I learned a bunch of things, but it didn't teach me to be a stock picker. Uh, What taught me to be a stock picker was my in a critical thinking and ability to connect dots without someone telling me that I'm correct before the news hits. You don't make money in the stock market by waiting for the Wall Street Journal to report something. And, you know, I will say something about some of the doctors that were early to call this, what they were seeing. Dr. Ryan Cole saw in his practice biopsies, cancer shooting up last year. He's what I call a stock picker of doctors. He saw a trend. He didn't need Someone from the CDC or FDA to tell him something was wrong, he figured it out early and said, This is a signal. And he didn't need any authority figure to tell him. And that's why he's been such a critical voice in all this. And Dr. Malone, these are people that can think with, by themselves. And I, I would say all the people that have been vilified are critical thinkers. It, it's, it's pretty amazing. If you don't take the marching orders and you question, you're, you're vilified and pushed aside. And this is literally a crisis of critical thinking across all industries. Uh, there's something something switched off in the country over the last two years. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's uh, tragic. Well, if you want to disable critical
0: thinking, the only ingredient you need is fear. And Correct. orchestrate fear, it completely paralyzed the capacity for critical thinking. Just a word on Ryan Cole. One of the advantages that Ryan Cole had is the, he runs one of the testing well, laboratory testing company, because he was receiving data from hundreds of doctors. Right. And, you know, it's hard because there's a signal also at the end of the lockdowns, so many people deferred medical treatment and you don't know whether this explosion, this apparent explosion in cancers is an artifact of deferred medical treatment or whether it's actually an increased incident in cancer. And the jury's still out on that question. But there's a lot of doctors reporting it, and there's a lot of doctors reporting specific kinds of cancers that, you know, that we should be looking at that. We should be, you know, as a society and as our institution, (laughs) right, saying, okay, is this an artifact of reporting or is the incident actually creating? Unfortunately, we have... Regulatory agencies that have a knee-jerk reaction to cover up those kind of signals, rather than to explore them and to actually do the kind of science. That, you know, we need to make good healthcare decisions.
1: Yeah, it's tragic, and I applaud all the frontline doctors who came forward early when they started seeing strange things, especially in the first year with early treatment, and now with vaccines. It's it was a the one it was a one-two punch. They they suppress early treatment. Isn't it, Before
0: I let you go, I need some private financial advice. Are we, (laughs) how how is the war, is there, are we going to have a recession? How is the war going to affect, is it going to accelerate and amplify that? And, you know, it seems to me, I think we printed a couple trillion dollars in money. It seems you would think we would have really dramatic inflation from that. But
1: what are your thoughts? Well, my two cents is this. You know, since the great financial crisis, that bad debt that was created, it didn't go away. It was um, put on the central bank's balance sheets through the bailouts and the government balance sheets through the bailouts. So the last 10 years, the debt problem we had in the great financial crisis didn't go away. It just resides in a different entity. And the, the central banks and the governments have uh, over indebted themselves. So, you know, those of us in, in the financial world have been trying to figure out when that would pop, uh, that sovereign debt bubble would pop. And it looks like it's popping, unfortunately. The Fed got a reprieve during COVID because they were able to print 65% money supply year over year, which is the highest increase in the history of the Federal Reserve. But the second derivative of that money printing is rolling over. And I think what we're going to see, and by the way, the last 10 years, most of the inflation we saw went into financial assets. There was some, some inflation, but I think we're going to see financial assets deflate and things that we need inflate like food and, and rent. So in the real world, prices are going to go up and the financial world, prices are going to go down. It's a one-two punch. And I do think we're going to hit recession in the third quarter of this year. And also the Fed is going to, they're going to talk about their interest rate hike. And I've seen data analysis that shows the Fed is already, the Fed rate hike cycle is already over before it began because the market usually leads the Fed. So they're probably going to be one and done, one one rate hike and done, and then they're going to have to print money as the stock markets and bond markets become unhinged. This is a term we've been talking about for years. The Fed looks like it's finally trapped, and they don't have they don't have any way out. So it's it's not going to be pretty. Is my 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 advice? So I mean, do you advise people to get into crypto? Is that a place where people can hide? Well, in, so in the financial market dislocation, which I think is coming there's a lot of leverage in the system. So I think everything goes down. I think if I had to give you just one piece of investment advice, having some cash on the sidelines at the bottom of this, you know, when when JP Morgan famously said, buy when there's blood in the streets. I mean, even though there's inflation, it's good to be able to have dry powder to buy when this dislocation happens, because I think everything's going to go down initially. Then once we have like a rally, some things will go to new highs, maybe crypto, maybe gold. But some of these stocks are never going to see their highs again, you know, like uh, Facebook or Google. I mean, I think I think these things have peaked and they're done for for at least a decade or so. Let me ask you this, Ed: What do you think about the role of
0: these big internet titans, who've raked in billions and billions of pesos and Sergey Brin and Ari Ellison and Zuckerberg and Gates, and even Bloomberg, who have censored, systematically censored criticisms of the lockdowns that were yielding them, you know, ultimately, collectively, probably $3.8 trillion shift in wealth from the poor to this new oligarchy of billionaires, many of them involved in media or social media that were censoring us.
1: Well, so... I've labeled this, this total fraud we've seen with Pfizer. It's a multi-siloed fraud. So it's the fraud started with Pfizer and Moderna with the help of the government and the regulators. And then the, the tech titans and the media titans are complicit in, I'm not a lawyer, but that's how I'm I'm terming it, through their censorship. And additionally, I also think they don't mind the COVID economy because they're gonna have businesses that create, you know, new industries that create around COVID compliance where they're able to create additional revenue streams from surveillance and monitoring of the world they want, which is quarterly vaccines and updated booster cards. And so they they were in on it in my mind. And you know, let's also, I don't have proof of this, but let's also not underestimate the influence of intelligence agencies here, because we do know that a lot of these tech titans, especially the new companies, have contracts with intelligence agencies that they can't disclose and they've had these for years and there may be some intelligence agency agency influence as well they'll never talk about these contracts but we know they're there
0: yeah it's illegal for them to talk about it they, yeah. can, they can go to jail for 20 but, yeah. years with a, with a secret court no lawyers and they lose all their assets once you once you sign one of those state secrecy agreements you essentially become a vassal of, you know, the military intelligence agencies of the CIA.
1: Exactly, correct. I
0: think there's over 3 million Americans who have signed those, but we know that in Kewtel and the CIA focused their investments in Silicon Valley. And if you wanted to take that money from the devil, you had to sign that, that contract or get the contract because they show up at your door. With government contracts and investment money, nobody can say no to that. If you're a Silicon Valley CEO or a startup, you cannot say no to the CIA.
1: And we we have no idea what percentage of their overall revenues come from the government. That's never been disclosed. I suspect undue influence and strong-arming from the intelligence agencies for these guys to censor because... What they said initially about what they wanted to do with their companies is not what they're doing now, and they no. they, they pulled a 180. They promised us it was going to
0: democratize the internet, and yeah. now they've become the primary instrumentality of control, of authoritarian and totalitarian control.
1: <laughs> Correct. So, no, I'm in full agreement with you. We, I think we see eye to eye on many things.
0: Uh, thank you very much for speaking out, for your courage, and for your independence, and for your continual uh, exercise of of critical thought.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. And thank you so much for all your efforts that you have done over the years. I mean, I applaud you. And, you know, you are an early tip of the spear. So thank you. Thanks, Ed. Take care.